And then also with networking, you just have to give, 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 give. You just have to always help and help and help and right. help and help and help. <laughs> and it's a lot of sacrifice. <laughs> but you have to keep helping. It's like, and then once you have any fever, it's easier for you to call in the fever. So that's what I was saying. Wow, if we're not careful, we might move from the power of life from learning yes, to networking yes, 101. Yes, <laughs> yes. apologies. <laughs> So far in the podcast, we have talked about entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial leadership as a whole. And, you know, we've broken it down to various topics such as self-awareness, women in tech, um, creating solutions in an entrepreneurial manner. And today we're going to be talking about learning how to be an entrepreneurial leader. So specifically into the power of lifelong learning or rather continuous learning. Feel free to check us out on our, all our platforms to comment, like, subscribe, and share with your family and friends on various WhatsApp groups to keep up with the gems of knowledge that we drop here. Um, you can find us on our various platforms, which is Apple Podcast, Anchor, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast. What a mouthful. Uh, today, our guest is someone who's well-versed in the entrepreneurial space as a student. And he took a year off to sort of explore himself, if I'm not too far yeah. off from it. Um, he's a business um, business major student um, and be graduating this year. Maybe he can introduce himself a bit further, then we can explore into what entrepreneurial leadership means to him and how lifelong lessons have applied to his experiences as an entrepreneurial leader. Welcome. Thank you, Savannah. Um, so, my name is Killer Brockstone, yes. and what would you like me to begin with about myself? <laughs> um, tell us more about what entrepreneurial leadership means to you. Now I feel like I'm in an EO class all over again. Do tell us. Your ones. Content. <laughs> I think, Hit I us. Think to sort of summarize it up, I would say, there was this advice I got once, or let's say, it was more of an article I read, and they talked about how life is like playing a video game on an expert mode. And I think for me, that sort of summarizes up entrepreneurial leadership. So it's more like, like you said, lifelong learning. It's more like you having a longer-term perspective of, on whatever you're doing. Great. All right. Um, so what would you say your entrepreneurial leadership journey has been like? Is it more focused on ELU or more of... More so on self. So... What maybe you can talk about both. So maybe what ALU has helped you realize or mm -hmm. sort of guided you through to help in your journey and what you have um, gone through by yourself aside from what ALU has provided for you. I think just to break it down, I'll try to put it into two separate groups, right? So let's say the, the entrepreneurial part of it, right? Yeah. Which is where basically you try to find solutions to problems you see around and think of ways to rather make an impact or from a, from, a, um, from a financial point of view or from an impact point of view, right? And then you have the leadership part, which is more on how to lead yourself or how to drive change in whatever you are doing or in a group of people. Right. And sort of the intersect between both of them will be more of doing that or being a leader in your entrepreneurial ventures, right? Right. And I would say, actually, before coming to Italy, I didn't have any idea of what that meant. Or probably I did have an idea of what that meant because back in Ghana, before coming to Italy, I worked on an NGO, City Street Ghana. Right. And basically, what we did was 
So it was way back in high school, I quite remember. So if you're in a boys' school in Ghana, it's either you are, you are strong physically or you're mentally very strong, I mean very smart. And I remember <laughs> I wasn't very strong when I was in high school. It was a boys' school, I wasn't very strong. And I remember negotiating with my seniors. I told them that, hey, if you guys are able to protect me, huh, I'm going to teach you guys how to make money. And basically, I didn't know how to make money, but I knew investment strategies to teach them. So right. at that time, people used to invest a lot in savings, which they got about 1% or even less than that. Mm-hmm. But rather, I told them where to invest their money to get more returns, like mutual funds, which gave them about 15 to 20%. So they made more money. And in exchange, they were protecting me. So after high school, I quite remember, I thought, you know, this is actually something positive because I could see the results. So why don't I take a gap year off? So actually, this is... I didn't take my first gap year in ELU. This is my second gap year I took in ELU. Wow. My first gap year was actually in high school. So I decided to take a gap year off to do this full-time, to teach people how to be financially literate. So I gathered some friends of mine from high school, and we started City Street Ghana. And basically, the goal was to empower young Ghanaians to own their own um, entrepreneurial journey, and also mainly to be financially literate. So we went to secondary schools, university, teaching people how to budget, this, the, um, the difference between savings and investments accounts. And yeah, so afterwards, that's how I got to come to, I got into ELU through that same venture. And then coming to ELU, I sort of learned what ELU meant on a rather bigger scale. So I'll say that was quite helpful. Oh, great. So what impact do you think that had on the kind of things that you learned about the skills that you're developing as you're teaching other people? I think there were two main skills I learned that you'd never be ready when you're an entrepreneurial leader, when you're in, a, in your entrepreneurial journey. There's nothing known as being ready. You just, it's like you just have to jump into the cold water and then you just figure out, as, uh, you just figure everything out as it starts swimming, you know? Yeah. And I think that for me has been something that's pushed me a lot throughout my journey, even in ELU. Because there's been so many opportunities that I had to take, so many entrepreneurial journeys that have, or so many ventures have started with some field. But I mean, the learning is always much more important. Right. But there's been so many opportunities I've had where I didn't have to necessarily be the most prepared person or to know everything about it. But just by virtue of starting alone, you learn so much. Because right. you can never be prepared in reality, you know. You just have to know what you want to do, the solution you want to bring about, find people who can help you along the journey, people who you believe know better than you do. Or you have a plan of learning as you go along. But the most important thing is to start and figure it out. So I think that had a lot of impact on my journey. So I can give an example. Roxon Capital, I remember. Wow, okay. Roxon Tell Capital us more is, about that. <laughs> Roxon Capital was, it was, um, so probably, let, let me give a short background of Roxon Capital, right? Right. Uh, so I remember after my gap year, in, after my internship in South Africa with Swishri, mm-hmm. I came back to Yale, very excited about blockchain. I was like, oh, I learned this thing called blockchain. And it's so interesting. It's so amazing. <laughs> but then... I came back and then I realized, oh, there were actually people who knew much more than I did. So a friend of mine, Ahmed Raga from Egypt, he right. knew a lot about blockchain. I was like, oh, you know what? Why don't you teach me what you know? And then I later on realized he actually knew how to trade cryptocurrencies. He was making a shit ton of money from it. Pardon my word, but he was making a lot of money from it. And I was like, ah, oh, dude, this is so cool. Can you teach me how to make money too? So I learned how to make money from it. And then I actually realized a lot of students were interested in also exploring cryptocurrency ventures. And then a lot of faculty members also started reaching out to me. I was like, you know what, I mean, why don't we create a venture, right, where we are able to gather money from all these people who are interested in trading. And since we already have a lot of experience with this trading, we could sort of help people do it much more better right. with our failures and also, and also with our success. So at the, I'll see, in my second year, we were managing about 
40 to 60K USD. Wow. And that was quite amazing. So, and then we're managing money for both faculty members and students. And then in the next year, the cryptocurrency market just, shoom, it went down, <laughs> took a huge dip. And we lost, we lost a lot of money. Was that? that was late 2018 going down. So 2017, late 2017, we were making a lot of money. Right. But then early 2018, the market started going down. So we started losing some money. Yeah. And then we decided to just sort of give our invested back their money. Yeah. But also we made a lot of money for them. I remember we made almost about, um, let me say in a week, we could make about $4,000 in a week for clients. So that was, so that was something that filled. And then now, um, yeah. That's, that's amazing. Okay, so what has your experience been like so far at ELU, considering you're the graduating student now? I would say um, experience as in what I've learned graduating or how's my total experience in ELU. Let's, let's start from the bigger picture. So what has your total experience been? Overall, what has ELU been like for you? Overwhelming. I mean, it's been sort of beyond my imaginations. Not to exaggerate, I mean, but... I mean, Yale actually giving me a platform to, you know, before coming to Yale, you know, you have all these dreams and ambitions of things you want to do. Last week, we went on a hike at Le Mans with some students. I think it was part of the event Yale, um, our satellite for um, orientation. The, yeah. Yes. Right. That's the graduating class. And I was talking to a friend of mine also from Ghana, and we were talking about the same thing. I mean, Yale literally gives students the opportunities to dream, and I think that's very important. And we're talking about the power of hope, right? Right. And so, same hiking. So, whilst we were hiking, um, there was a part where basically it was getting so hard going up. But then I remember one person at the top told us, hey, it's not that far off. You don't, you, you just about a few more minutes. I think just by that way, it was more of hope, more like you thinking, oh, so although this thing looks a bit big, actually it's not that big if I stick small steps going up, right? right? And in similar ways, I feel like that's what Yale has given us. You know, you have all these big ambitions, all these big dreams when you're young. I remember when I was in high school, I used to flip through Time magazines and economics and read all these stories and see all these stuff and see all these places in the world. And it, it starts, and I think Yale gives you that sort of hope that all these things you dream of, you can actually achieve them. It just takes, step. it's a step-by-step -step process, right? Right. It takes a lot of step-by-step -step process. Work, putting in your hard work, failing, learning from your failures, dreaming big. Whenever you are given an opportunity, don't say no. Take it and learn as you move along, I think. And also, the most important part of it was actually studying in a startup. I think that was something, I think that's something most people don't talk about. It, it was a huge risk for you, was it? No, 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 not risk. I think it was actually a huge learning opportunity, which right. I don't think I would have gotten anywhere. Because literally, every day, I remember back in Bookland, you used to see Fred literally every day. And you could understand when they were building the process, right? Right. And I think that experience showed me that, you know, it's, it's similar as in a lot of things in life. You don't really need to, like I said earlier, you don't really need to figure everything out before you start. You just need to start and learn. And I think in, we can all attest to that, that early we, we before had like, before being like, we all feel like lab rats, right? In many ways, where we feel like things in early change a lot, right? But that's how life is, I mean, Things in life move so fast and you have to adjust as you move along. And I think ELU gave me that strong foundation and gave me that, it built me up to understand how those things work. All right, so in bringing it down further into learning how to be an entrepreneur leader, 
how do you think ALU has impacted your entrepreneurial leadership journey, aside from the course that you took maybe in year one and the continuous learning that you've been having throughout? How do you think ALU impacted you being an entrepreneur leader with the ventures that you had or created in the process? How has it, how has it impacted me? I, I, don't, I don't understand the question. Could you, could you ask it again? It's a little confusing. Let's see. Let me try and rephrase it. So how your entrepreneurial leadership experience has been heightened or sort of given your enlightenment while, yes. it's, while it's at ALU? Yes. I'd, I'd like to believe that ALU is the reason as to why you have a better understanding of what entrepreneurial leadership yep. is, right? True. So what are, the, some, what are some of the things or some of the skills that you've gained mm-hmm. as you've gone through your entrepreneurial leadership journey mm-hmm. along the way um, to build in your ventures while it's at ALU. What was the impact that ALU had for that? Yeah, I think I, I sort of shed a little light on that earlier. Right. And I think the two main ones or the two key ones that I mentioned earlier were one, really understanding. Or I, I think it's mostly about mindset. Right. That's what I'm, a lot of the things I've learned in ALU was a shift of mindset. And the first mindset was you just have to start. There's no... You, you just have to start. Whatever ideas you have in your mind, whatever solutions you want to bring to the world, whatever change you want to bring to the world, you just have to start small, from, start from somewhere. It's better than you can take months to plan, but once you start, that's when you actually know when things are, how, how things look on the ground. Right. So just begin. It's just like, like just do it, right? I think that's the number one mindset Ilya has taught me. And putting that into practice, I'll say, example... Um, like with Roxon Capital, like I mentioned, when I came back, I could have decided to spend five more months trying to learn. But I think starting made me learn much more than just sitting somewhere reading, right? Yeah. Starting this made me learn a lot. And also, it acted as a catalyst to the next step. Right. So although the venture failed, but then that led on to another big opportunity where I was hired to go to London to work on a blockchain strategy for Swishri That's based amazing. on my previous experiences. So although the venture failed, but that gave me so much understanding because Russian Capital gave me the chance to really understand cryptocurrencies, analyze companies that were interested in using blockchain, got to understand the technology itself. And that was what led on to the next big thing for me. So although it failed, it led on to something big, right? And if I'd never started or I'd always felt unprepared, I would have never started anyway. I would have waited and then that opportunity would have passed me by, right? right. So that's the number one, which is that shift of mindset, just do it. And the number two key things would, um, was... I think the number two key thing is networking, honestly. I think ELU, before coming to ELU, I, didn't, I wasn't an avid networker. I was much more just, you know, sitting in my room, always trying to do things by myself. Okay. And I think looking afraid and seeing how he built ELU, a lot of it was by his connections, right, and by the people he knew. Right. And I think when I came to ELU, and, and I think that's in part, like I mentioned earlier, studying in a startup, which really changed a lot of things for me, right? Um, seeing Fred really build this up, and I think for me, uh, I sort of added it to one of the key things I wanted to be good at, which is networking. So when I came to Mauritius, I remember the first thing I did was try to attend events, trying to meet new people in Mauritius, um, try to go to LinkedIn, schedule meetings with people. And I think currently one thing I do know, which is quite helpful for me, is I try to organize a private networking dinner every month mm-hmm. where I bring um, people from the corporate sector or corporate executives that bring subject matter experts, people from the government and around food. We mostly have dinner. Very good food, not just any food, you know. It has to be very good food. <laughs> and the goal is just to discuss and share insights 
and collaborate on disruptive technology. So that's also a good way for me to build my network. And actually, I'm hosting one this week, Friday. Right. So we have the managing director of PwC Mauritius in there. We have the chief security officer of Barclays coming. And we have the, I mean, very top people coming, which is quite good. So it's just a small community. And it helps me also build my network, right. also bring people around the common agenda, which is disruptive technology, something I'm very passionate about also. So I think Fred inspired me to also do that in many ways. And I think probably I'll not see the benefits now, but in the next five to 10 years, imagine I want to build something of my own. It's easier to tap into all these small networks I've created in Mauritius, right? right. I think that's a power of being in a, being in early. You get, to, you get a lot of change in mindsets and a lot of shifts. And also with this networking thing, I would have never started if I didn't learn the first principle, just do it. I mean, I just had to start networking. I had a lot of failures along the way. I remember sometimes, I'll spell someone's name wrong, and then I'll be, oh, shit, that's so bad, you know? You learn all these things. Right. Maybe you send, you want to say hello to someone, you don't know how to draft the perfect email. But as you go along, you keep learning from those mistakes, you know? What to say in an email, what to, just, like, a sort of, um, how do you say it? When you send an email, was it the, the introduction? Subject the subject lining. Yeah. Exactly. What was the perfect subject lining to use for someone to open your email in the first place, to even connect to you? All these things you learn, but you have to start. You you you, you just have to start. And okay. you feel you feel a lot as you go along, but you learn as you move. So yeah. All right. So you've talked you've talked a lot about networking and how it's been a very key aspect of how you've grown yeah. uh, throughout your journey as in AOU. What would you say would be the ideal type of questions that you'd ask and for example, the dinner you're having this weekend? Yes. What what would you think are the most key questions to ask? people of that caliber? I think when it comes to networking, right. the, my main experiences has been networking, like the first step of every networking process is to connect emotionally with the person you're networking with. Right. Like you have to connect emotionally and that's your gateway. So to connect emotionally with the person, you can do so from a point of mentorship. So like, let's see, a very, a very, very good example would be, let's see, one of my very good mentors is the CEO of Barclays, right? Bank. Right. And the first time I met him, it was during an event in Mauritius that I went to. And I was like, hello, uh, Mr. Raven, how are you doing? My name is Caleb. I'm a student from ELU. And I'm very passionate about fintech because I'm very passionate about, about technology and finance. Right. And I would really love to schedule um, lunch with you to learn more about your experiences in this space. And I was like, okay, here's my card, send me an email. So I send the email, he responds. Sometimes in networking, you send emails and no one responds. So you, you sort of build that mental toughness, right? Yeah. But I was like, at this time, he, he, <laughs> he sort of responded. And then, um, so went for the dinner, I went for the lunch. And I think the first critical step of that lunch is not to sort of ask for anything. It's just to sort of let him relate to who you are as a person, your dreams, your aspirations, who you are, what drives you, what motivates you, um, what makes you think. So you share all those details, you know, and then you also get to learn from him, like what makes him think as a person, um, what were his dreams when he was at this stage, what were his aspirations, what were some of his failures, how did he get to where he is, what steps did he take, what were some of his principles. Right. One thing I do during every net, every networking section. So we have stages in networking, right? So the first step is to connect emotionally with the person. And the second step is to see how you can find mutual. If, so the first step, once you connect, you've tried to find something mutual that you can both relate to. 
So you can be around technology, maybe. So like, for example, this dinner, the reason why I, why I invited these people was because we share mutual interest on technology. Everyone right. in, the, in the dinner is passionate about what's next in this world in, regarding technology, what's happening. So the dinner is around cybersecurity. So the goal is to bring cybersecurity experts to talk to everyone, to just learn. Everyone should just learn something a bit about it mm -hmm. from different angles, from legal side, from financial side, from a consulting point of view, from a corporate point of view. So, so back to your question. Right. Such a dinner like this, this would be like, it's more of a third level of networking, right? Because I've already connected with these guys on an emotional level. Right. I already have a shared interest with them. And now the third level is to keep, the, to keep our connections up by sharing things that are fully relevant to them. Right. To keep on, to keep them, to keep our relationship going keep up. Keep building on the relationship exactly. as you go. So All this right. is rather on a rather third level. So this one is much more, and then from that point onwards, maybe you don't, from that point onwards, it's easier to see, maybe they start asking you things. Hey, Caleb, keep, um, I'm, I'm doing this, what do you think? Or can you help me with this? And then also with networking, you just have to give, 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 give. You just have to always help and help and help and right. help and help and help. <laughs> and it's a lot of sacrifice. <laughs> but how to keep helping, it's like, and then once you have any fever, it's easier for you to call in your fever. So that's what I was saying. Wow, if we're not careful, we might move from the power of life from learning yes, to networking yes, 101. Yes, <laughs> yes. apologies. So um, <laughs> you took a year off school. Yes. And you said... this. This was your second time around taking a gap year, in, in a sense. Um, so can you explain how you ended up making that decision and what your experience was like throughout that gap year? Yes. So I think I did a bit of mentioning on that earlier, where right. I spoke about how it works on Capital Field. Right. And then I got hired by Sushri to work on their blockchain strategy in London, right. to work with a team on their blockchain strategy in London. And it was supposed to be a three-month internship. And I think my internship was... I did... Um, it, it went very well. It went very well. And my manager decided to extend that three months to a full gap year. So to keep working on the same project. And it was basically a blockchain project where all the... And this was a project that had never been done before. This was the first time where all reinsurers, all insurers, all brokers in the world decided to... Sorry, I have a very bad code. All reinsurers, sorry. brokers, and, and reinsurers decided to create a platform to exchange contracts in a very secure way and also on a distributed ledger technology platform, right? And that was an interesting time because basically they've not done anything like this before. So my goal was to work on the team to build something like this for the company or with the company. And um, yeah, so we were able to do that. And then the contract got extended to a year to keep working on that. And then later on during the year, I also got an extension to work in Switzerland in the, that's in the headquarters in Zurich. Wow, travel the world as you learn how to do what you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, but then that that was also actually very fun because I also got a chance to travel across Europe. So I remember on the weekends, I was just sort of take my phone. There was this app I used to use. Right. And then I was just, so the app just books your flight and it books your hotel and it's cheap, so it's not that expensive. Right. So you just click on it and then it finds a place around Europe for you. Then you just, it just sends you the ticket. So every Friday after work, I just click on the app then it says, I'm going to Paris. <laughs> I'm like, yes, Paris. Yeah, I come on the weekend. <laughs> and I go. <laughs> so that was fun. I had to use the weekends to sort of explore Europe. And it was also good for me because I got to learn so much about Europe. I mean, I learned a lot about Europe. It's such an interesting place. And and all over the world, I think the more you you realize, you realize people, not everyone knows everything around the world. You know, people are still figuring things out. And 
I think one thing I learned in Europe, which was very helpful for me now, would be commercialization. Right. I think the Europeans are very good at commercializing stuff, you know, like, let's say, even an old castle, right, in London, an old castle that has nothing to do with, like, it's old, literally old. They're able to find a way to monetize it by creating events around it, tickets, mm. like, the castle is able to sustain itself, right? Right. They're able to use tickets from events or from viewings to make sure the castle is always in a good state. Right. But then in Africa, you have all these amazing old relics of ours, these kingdoms, you know? And yet they are not sustainable because the monetization part of it hasn't been interest, hasn't been figured out. I think for me, that was something I learned during my gap year, which was, I think that's sort of... The capstone of it. The capstone of everything. Right. Commercialization, which is how do you drive commercialization in my mindset. So that was also an, a good mindset shift I had. And commercialization is mostly around money. So I think when I came back to Yale, I started, a lot of my friends were like, ah, everything, every time you're thinking of money, 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 everything is not about money. But I think a lot of things in life has to do with sustainability. And unfortunately, a lot of sustainability has to do with the financing part of it, which is the financial aspect of it, which is the money part of it. Right. That's also another good mindset I think I developed on the gap year. Oh, that's great. All right, so within that entire experience that you had, of course, you were traveling the world your WhatsApp group were very intense with the kind of networks that you're building throughout. So what do you think is the best advice that you've ever been given throughout your entrepreneurial leadership journey? Actually, I'll say my best advice actually came from the Bible, honestly. Is this chapter... You is don't this, hear that every day, yeah, so tell us my, more. My, oh, I wish probably you can open your... Um, it's Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. Right? And chapter 9? Chapter 9, verse 11. Uh, is that the short form of. Yes, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. I think this, this, thing, this verse literally is like an anchor for most of the things I do, right? It says. Which version are you looking for? The NIV version. Okay. So maybe as we find it, you can tell us more of what. Yeah. So basically, it's about King Solomon, right? Who the Bible says he was the wisest man on earth. Right. And he talks about he says so he says, I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong. Nor does food comes to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or fever to the land. It's all decided by time and chance. By being so basically there is there's also another verse basically which says, um, I have seen something else under the sun. The strongest does not always win the battle. Um, the wise sometimes go hungry. The fast does the fast does not always win the race, right? Right. And um, the most educated don't always lead successful lives. It is all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. And I think for me that literally makes me rethink everything I do, like Am I at the right place at the right time? Am I at the right place at the wrong time? <laughs> Am I at the wrong place at the right time? So I realized that, like in, like in ELU mostly, I realized ELU was actually the right place for me at the right time, you know? Because I came at a time where everything was being built up, you know? And I got the chance to experience ELU from a startup point of view. Right. I think that for me was very invaluable. I don't think I would have gotten the experience anywhere else. And that literally changed who I am as a person, right? So my education-wise, I'll say, regarding the verse and regarding this principle, I'll say, Eli was the right place at the right time. And 
in everything I, I do, I ask myself, is this the right place for me to be in? And is this also the right time for me to be doing this? And most of these questions can only be answered by your inner intuition, you know? Right, so, you always have to trust your yeah, gut. Yeah, you always have to trust your gut. And also, sometimes it's not bad asking people around, but always you have to answer that question yourself. Right. But also that means you have to meditate a lot because you have to listen. There's this inner voice within you which knows whether you're the right place at the right time. Or whether, like there's something within you which always gives you that message. And then you feel it all the time, right? You feel it all the time. So I spend a lot of time meditating also, which really helps me. So like really spend a lot of time by myself, thinking, trying to understand, trying to analyze, mostly analyzing what am I doing currently in my life? Like school, maybe this venture, maybe this book, how does it fit into my bigger picture? Sometimes you don't figure everything out, but there's this intuition that tells you to keep moving or to stop that. Certain things you are doing it in, there's this intuition that tells you, no, stop this thing, just stop this thing and just do something else, right? <laughs> so I think for me, that's sort of the best advice I've gotten. It sort of really helps me channel the inner me to make a lot of decisions. Right. Okay, so looking into the best advice, obviously, it's just, it's always by chance and time. So you got to be at the right place at the right time. And you have to feel it through, right? Obviously, you've experienced bad advice. So what is the worst advice, like bottom tier advice that you've gotten? The worst advice I've ever gotten. This might sound counterintuitive, right? right? But the worst advice I've ever gotten is that as a human being, you need to be liked by everyone, which is not very true. I mean, you don't need to be liked by everyone. I mean, and also I think, yeah, you don't need to be really liked by everyone. You, you, it's a shame, but, but that's the truth, you know. Sometimes you, I don't know how to put this into context. Sometimes you just have to find the, okay. Sometimes can I give have... another worst advice? I think this advice, right. I can so I can pack this advice down. Let me, <laughs> let me, let me give you another worst advice I got. Right. <laughs> okay, so one of the worst advice is, um, there's this thing I, I mostly have with my, this argument I mostly have with my friends, right? right. That um, one, of my very good, so one of my very good mentors, which, not mentor, but one of someone I look up to, right. which sounds, which you might not like, but it's actually Donald Trump, you know? I actually look up to him a lot. As an, wow. And a lot of good things, not good things, but a lot of things I see he does, which, which look, a lot of things he does, which a lot might, I don't know how to put this into, into, into context again, but from afar, right, there are a lot of things that I admire about him. So, for example, one of the things that I admire about him is his gut to keep you going through tough times. I mean, I've seen this guy ever since he was selected. He's been going through, I mean, no one believed he could even be president in the first place, right? right? And he proved everyone wrong. He became president. And ever since that, he's been having a lot of tough times, right? But I don't know how, but he always emerges out of it. And I think that for me is something, that passion to imagine having leaders in Africa who had that passion, that zeal, yeah. and yet use it for the right thing. I mean, Trump has zeal, but sometimes it's for the wrong thing, right? But that zeal, right? And using it for the right thing, I mean, that for me is something I've learned to have this inner zeal to keep going and keep going and keep pushing and keep pushing and not give up when the whole world is against you, right? Just keep going, but use it for the right things. And you just have to, it's just like life, right? Everything in life is about balance, right? It's all about balancing. So, yeah, I think that for me is one of the, I don't know if, to, is, is that the worst advice? Is. Yeah, I don't think so. But, you know, we get, we kind of get the idea of what you're trying to say. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right then. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, the power of lifelong learning. We've clearly seen that there are a lot of lessons that you've learned throughout your experiences, from your journey throughout your career, throughout your journey as a student, your world global trotting that you've been doing between Mauritius, Ghana, UK, South Africa, and Switzerland. Um, yeah, we just wish you the best as a graduate so student. We really hope that, you know, whatever it is that comes into the future is beneficial and very uh, developmental for you personally as well. Um, so if you haven't checked us out on any other platform, we are on Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, um, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. A mouthful once again, but you can pick out of seven platforms to check us out. So do not forget to like, share, subscribe to our channels and leave a comment if this content resonates with you and ask any questions that you might have that we could possibly use in our next podcast. So until next time, see you.